0: Welcome to the New Song Church Sermon Podcast. Here at New Song, we want to help people get to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions about us or want to learn more, you can check us out online at www.new-song-church.com. We'd love for you to stay connected with us throughout the week through our church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Just search keyword New Song. And now, check out our message of
1: the week. With all that out of the way, I'm not gonna steal PJ's line, but are you ready to study the word of God, yes or no? Yes. All right, we're, we're, we're gonna dive in today. It's gonna to be a fun, a fun morning. Now, if you're just joining us, we're finishing up a series today called Lesson Learned. And, and we're, what we're doing is we're just kinda of sharing some lessons that some of the different Old Testament characters have learned. Some of them are, have been some difficult lessons and some of them have been some easier ones. And last week, PJ talked about King Josiah and really the, the danger that pride can have in, in our lives. Well, I, as I was preparing for this message this week, my wife and I, Angela, we, we've been married almost 17 years now. It'll be 17 years in just a couple weeks. I had, I had Lesson learned. <laughs> lesson learned. Remember, remember your anniversary. Um, but, <laughs> but we had... We we had some fun just kind of reminiscing a little bit this week just about some lessons that we've learned over the years, as as a couple, as parents, as as being pastors, and so I'll I'll share with you just kind of some just kind of funny lessons we've learned over the years, and I'm sure like every one of us could write a book about different lessons we've learned over the years, and so one one of them that we were laughing about, and I'd honestly forgot about it, and it's, it probably tried to block it out of my memory, was that don't put a sparkler within reach of a one-year-old. I, <laughs> so, yeah, don't call CPS on me because this happened years ago now. But we, we were in the backyard, and, you know, it was around the 4th of July, and had sparklers, and the kids were having fun. Haydens was, was about one years old, and I was showing it to her. Well, she does what any one-year-old does and reaches out and grabs it. Well, I, I don't know what those sparklers burn at, but it's mighty hot and thankfully we had like one of those kiddie pools like right there so I quick stuck her hand in the kiddie pool but we had to take her to the to the ER but thankfully she's okay but just a lesson learned for all you parents out there don't put a sparkler within reach of of a 1-year-old um another one I learned and this was a couple of years ago this is shortly after I right after we hired Pastor Josh as our as our youth pastor I was I was helping out during this time and I was teaching uh the teenagers on Wednesday night and I showed them this video and I to be honest I don't even remember what the video was about or what even the purpose of it was but I was showing them this video and and so what I do anytime I'm going to show a video to anybody I make sure to preview it to make sure it's everything's okay well I I was running a little bit short on time and I previewed it about 95% of the way and the first 95% was it was funny it was great it, it was it fit perfectly well it just so happened that that night pastor justin ended up sitting in youth on that wednesday night at which he never does so like th- this was like the one time he actually came and sat down in youth group on wednesday night and i shared this video and the very last line of the video is like this seven-year-old kid cussing at his parents and and i just was mortified <laughs> I was thinking, oh man, like my boss is sitting right here, and like it, it was, it was awful. I, I ended up, I ended up calling all all the the kids who were there. I called all their parents, and I apologized for it. And the, the good news is, PJ was really gracious to me. He said, "Well, you know what? There's some lers- lessons you only need to learn once." I said, "Yes, sir. I will never. I will make sure that I preview anything I show 100% of of the way." And, and like I said, we we all have things like that. We all have like. We could write a book about lessons we've learned over the years. Well, today we're going to be spending some time with one of my favorite Bible characters. And he really is, is kind of one of the giants of the Old Testament. He, he's the prophet Elijah. And, and it's, it's interesting about the, the story of Elijah because he's such a towering figure in the story of Israel and in the, in the Old Testament where he fits in the Old Testament story. But he's, he only appears in six chapters in the Bible. So he, he's, he's not in there very much, but he's this towering, towering figure in, in the history of Israel. And so I, I want to just kind of share with you a little bit of background about why Elijah is such an important figure within, within the, the history of, of Israel. I, in fact, he, he, was, he was such a big deal that when Jesus was having his ministry and he was walking around on the earth, some of the people thought that he actually was Elijah. I like, it. people knew who this guy was, it knew who Elijah was. And so, just to kind of give you a little bit of background, Elijah appears on the scene during the reign of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And and even, even if you're not, like, a, a super, you know, Bible church person, you've probably heard those names, Ahab and Jezebel, before. They probably sound at least vaguely familiar. But they were, they were wicked, wicked rulers in Israel. And, and I'll tell you this. During their reign, they not only did they turn away from God, but they turned the entire nation of Israel away from God. That they started worshiping the, these false gods. They they worshiped this this god named Baal, who who was really kind of the the god of, of, of the, the god of the rain and, and the harvest. And then his his wife, which would be Asherah, and she was kind of the the goddess of fertility and sex and that kind of thing. And and really, they kind of led the nation of Israel into worship of these two. False gods, and, and in fact, there, there's such a an interesting indictment of Ahab, where the Bible says that he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than all the other kings in Israel before him. I think of that statement. If you know the history of Israel, you know the history of some of the, the kings of Israel. That of all those kings, Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than any of the, any of the rest of them. And then, and then out of nowhere. This is where Elijah appears, and so I'm going to read this from you, from, to you from 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So, so we, we don't get any background information on Elijah up until this very moment, that Elijah Gets this this word from God, and he goes and he goes to confront Ahab, and he says, "All right, there's going to be a drought. There's going to be a drought that's going to take over over the land, and it's not going to rain until I say so, until God gives me the yes. This is now it's going to happen." And 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 I tell you the the whole and I I put this down in your sermon notes too, just kind of give us a frame of reference. For what, is, what is a prophet? You know, sometimes we hear that, that word prophet, we hear it thrown around even in modern times today. So I wanted to share this with you that a prophet is someone who hears and speaks the heart of God regarding contemporary situations. A prophet is somebody who hears and speaks the heart of God regarding contemporary situations. And that's exactly what Elijah was doing, that, that in the middle of this very dark time in the history of Israel, Elijah's here really to kind of speak truth to power in a way. He he really is going to speak the heart of God regarding where the nation of Israel is and what's going on. And so he he was really willing to stand up and call evil out for what it was. And so what we're going to see today is really some of the lessons that God taught Elijah and and more importantly what we can learn from some of those lessons as well. And so we we honestly don't have enough time to discuss all of Elijah's journey, his entire mission while he was walking the earth. So I'm going to skip a little bit ahead in, in Elijah's story just to kind of set up this, this first lesson that we're going to find out. And, and so Elijah, he'd, he'd kind of fired this first initial shot with Ahab saying, hey, you know what? There's going to be a drought. It's not going to rain until I say so. And, and there, there, the whole story of Elijah is really kind of these back and forth battles between Elijah and Ahab. And so finally, Elijah kind of has enough of Ahab and Jezebel leading the, the nation of Israel away, astray from God, and worshiping Baal and, and Asherah. So he, he finally issues a challenge to Ahab. And he tells him, he said, all right, here, here's the deal, Ahab. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take, there's 450 prophets of Baal, and I want you to gather all of them up. And there's, there's 400 prophets of Asherah, and I want you to gather all of them up, and we're going to meet on Mount Carmel. We're going to have we're going to have this this big mountain here. And not only do I, do I want you to assemble all of these prophets, I want you to gather the people up too. We're going to kind of have an old-fashioned showdown here. I want you to gather these prophets, gather the people. We're going to meet on Mount Carmel and we're going to just kind of we're going to put an end to this. And and I and I want to share with you just what what Elijah says to the people once they're gathered around Mount Carmel. This is from 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 21. Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And I think that's a very telling statement that, that ends there, that the people said nothing. Elijah finally kind of had enough. He said, "We all right, stop being double-minded. Stop kind of sitting on both sides of the fence, that, that if God, if the Lord is God, worship him, follow him. But if Baal is God, you know what? Forget, forget the Lord. Let worship Baal then. And, and he says, you know what? Make a choice. You, you, need, you need to take a stand. Decide where are you going to be? Are you going to be following after God or following after Baal? You can't have it both ways. And he really kind of sets up this, this showdown. And so what they do is they, they create two different altars. They put an altar over here to, to, to the Lord, an altar over here toward, toward, for Baal. And what they do is they, they put a bull on each altar, and what they were going to do is they were going to take turns, all right? All the prophets of Baal, they were going to pray to Baal and ask God to consume the, this sacrifice on this altar, and Elijah was going to pray to the Lord and, and ask him, consume the, this sacrifice, and whichever God responded would be the one true God, the one that we were going to worship, and so the prophets of Baal, they, they begin. They, they start praying and chanting and wailing and dancing and all this stuff, and nothing happens, and, and they keep this up for hours. They're, they're they're literally doing this for several hours, and Elijah's just kind of sitting back watching. I can imagine this this kind of big smirk on his face, and in fact, he he actually even starts to taunt them. He starts taunting the, these prophets who are dancing and chanting and all this. And he said, "You know what? May, maybe Baal's asleep, or or maybe maybe he's on a trip. May, maybe he's maybe he's deep in thought, or maybe maybe he's just off relieving himself, and that's why he can't answer." Your prayers. I mean, he's kind of making fun of them. And, and, and that only kind of spurs them on more because after that, then they start cutting themselves. They start cutting themselves with swords and with spears, and, and they're, they're doing all this crazy stuff, and sure enough, nothing happens. And, and, and I, love, I love what First 1 Kings 18.29 says. He says, but there was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Isn't that, isn't that great that, that literally all day, these prophets of Baal, they're doing their thing, and nothing happened, no one responded, no one paid attention. I love that. And then it was Elijah's turn. And, and this is probably a story that, that might be familiar to many of you, but Elijah, he builds this stone altar, and then on, he puts wood on top of the altar, and then he puts, cuts up the bull and puts the bull up on the altar, and then he digs a trench around the altar as well and, and he, he says all right here's what i want you to do i want you to take four gigantic jars fill them with water and pour it over the altar and and just remember this is in the middle of a drought like think about that for a minute like these four gigantic jars and they're just pouring out this precious resource on the altar he says all right i want you to do it again and they fill up these four jars again and pour it on again he says do it a third time and they fill up these jars and they pour it over the third time to the point where it said this trench that was around the altar was filled with water. And they did this three times. And, and like I said, re- just remember, this is in the middle of a drought. Like I can imagine some of the people, like, they're, they've been out here all day watching this. I guarantee you the sun's beating down and they're thirsty and like, Elijah, what in the world are you doing? Like, yeah. But then, but then Elijah, he prays. And I I want you to read this along with me in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 36. It says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I mean, yeah, absolutely. We can give God a hand for that. I mean, man, you talk about a showstopper right there. I mean, he didn't go through all this wailing and crying out and dancing. He just... He didn't make a big production out of it. He just said this simple prayer, God, I acknowledge you. You are the king of Israel, and I want your people, their hearts to be turned back to you. And boom, in that instance, fire fell from heaven and burned up that that sacrifice. And exactly what Elijah wanted took place, that God showed up, God showed off, in that moment, and and after after you know all the people fell down and they started worshiping worshiping God, the all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah they were they were all executed, they were all killed in that moment, and, and you talk about man, what an amazing mountaintop experience! Like this is this has got to be kind of like the highlight. Of Elijah's life at this at this moment, saying, Man, you know what? I, I finally showed Ahab, I showed Jezebel, I showed the people. God, you proved yourself in this moment. I mean, what what an incredible, incredible experience. He was riding high. And then the most amazing thing happens in the story of Elijah. The, the, the most incredible thing happens that Ahab and Jezebel, they decided they were going to conspire to kill Elijah. And, and in fact, they sent a messenger to Elijah and told him, all right, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you're, you're going to be gone. We're, we're going to kill you. You're done. And, and, and this, was, this was Elijah's response in chapter 19, verses 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. "I've had enough, Lord." He said, "Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors." I mean, think about this amazing turn of events that literally Elijah goes from this amazing mountaintop experience where God just proved himself in such a miraculous way, and the very next day, Elijah's running for his life, fearful, not to, to the point where he's saying, "God, I don't even want to live." I can't, I can't do this. I mean, th- think about, that. I mean, just what, what an amazing just kind of shift that, that happens here. And so I want you to write this down, number, your, this kind of first lesson that we learn here, that fear can make you do and believe things that take you away from your purpose. Fear can make you do and believe things that will take you away from your purpose. And isn't that the way the devil works? That you, you have this incredible experience with God, you've, you've been with him, you've had this awesome mountaintop experience with him, and Satan's right there to try to chop your legs out from under you, trying to, trying to introduce fear in, into your life. And, and I'll tell you, we all know this, fear does not come from God. Fear, fear doesn't come from God, and it can rob you from really living out that purpose that God has for your life it has that ability to to rob you from what god has for you. and so instead of standing up to ahab, instead of leading the people back into into worship of the lord, instead of uh, uh of proclaiming the word of god boldly, we see elijah running for his life, hiding and wishing that god would end his life. i mean it just that that's what that's what fear did to this mighty prophet, this mighty man of god. and and the sad thing is I've seen this happen, not, not this exact thing, but I've seen this happen in, in my own life and so many other people where, where we've allowed fear to take us away from what God's purpose for us really is. And I guarantee you, we, we've, all, we've all experienced that in, in one way or another, that, that maybe there was someone that God put in your path that he wanted you to, to share Christ with, that he wanted you to minister to, and you let fear get in the way and say, man, I, I don't know what to say. What, what, if, what if they don't receive it? What, what, if, what if they ask me something I don't know? And, and we let fear keep us from what God was really wanting us to do. Or, or maybe, you know, we're talking about small groups. Maybe you felt like, you know what, maybe this is the, this is the time I need, to, I need to lead a small group. But then you've let fear kind of get in the way and say, I, I, don't, I don't feel qualified. I don't know what to teach. I, I, I'm not sure what I, I'm supposed to do. Or maybe there was a time that you were supposed to do kind of what Elijah did and you need to stand up to somebody in love. You need to share a prophetic word with somebody. All right? not, not tearing them down, but just saying, hey, this is the heart of God. And maybe you were too afraid to be able to share, share that word. And, and I'll tell you, fear will rob you from so much if we allow it to. Fear really will allow us to, to will, will rob us of so much if we allow it to. But, but the good news about Elijah's story, and this is what's so beautiful about it is, God pursued Elijah. God God followed after him. And, and, And I'm so grateful that in my life too, that when I've been fearful and when I've run from what God has called me to do, that God has been right there behind me pursuing me and following after me. Is there anybody else in the room that has done that where you felt yourself running from God and he has not given up on you and he's followed after you and pursued you in that moment? And I'm so grateful that he does that. And so in this moment, Elijah, he finds himself in a cave. He's hiding out in a cave, and God comes up to him, and God starts to speak to Elijah. And I love, I love the very first thing that God says to Elijah. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Like, this is God, God knows everything. And he's like, Elijah, what are you, what are you doing? What is it that you are doing here? I, and it's, it's as if he's saying, I didn't create you for this. I I didn't mold you and form you in your mother's womb to be hiding in a cave. That's not what I have for you. You you weren't made for this. You weren't made to hide in a cave in the wilderness. You were designed, you were made, you were formed to be a prophet, to speak my word and to speak it boldly. And here you are hiding in a cave. And and I tell you, God speaks to him and shares such a profound truth with Elijah in this very moment. And, And I want you to read this along with me. In First Kings chapter 19 verses 11 and 12. And this is God, He's going to be speaking to Elijah in the cave here. And, it, and God says to him he says, "Go out and stand before the mountain," the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And, and many of you, it, you probably might recognize this from the King James Version. There, there was a still, small voice that spoke to and ministered to Elijah in that moment. And, and this passage is so interesting to me. I, I, it, it, it's so interesting to me, especially in light of what just happened on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal where God showed up in this incredible, miraculous, supernatural way. And yet, in the cave, it's the exact opposite. I want you to write this down, number two. That the Lord reveals himself not as overwhelming power, but as intimate presence. God doesn't reveal himself to Elijah in this moment as overwhelming power like he did at Mount Carmel. I mean, there's no denying that on Mount Carmel, that was overwhelming power at that moment. But when Elijah was at the end of his rope, and he was he was ready to give up, he had nothing left. God didn't minister to him and appear to him as overwhelming power. He revealed himself as intimate presence, that gentle whisper. I, I, I tell you, he's not just the God of the big and the spectacular. He's also the God of, of the normal and the mundane. All right? he, he's not just... He, he doesn't just show up in the surprising and the unimaginable and the supernatural. He also manifests himself in the normal day-to-day things as well. And especially the way that God showed up in this dramatic way on Mount Carmel that when Elijah has nothing left and he's literally begging God to take his life, God comes and speaks to him and, and ministers to him in this gentle whisper. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, what, I, what is so amazing and I pray is encouraging to you is that when, when we are drained of all of our strength, when, when we have nothing left, oftentimes that's the way that God will minister to us. All right, sometimes, sometimes we wish that God would, would just blow up, do this dramatic, amazing thing, just show up supernaturally, God, this is what I want you to do. But more often than not, God ministers in the quiet. More often than not, God ministers in the still small voice, in, in the gentle whisper. And, and and I'll tell you, even though sometimes we long for God to do the amazing, do the supernatural, oftentimes he ministers to us in the quiet. He'll help us to, to experience his presence in those quiet moments with him. And we have to seek those quiet moments out. We have to seek those out. And it's in this moment, really, that God encouraged Elijah, that God that God ministered to him in this gentle whisper, in this quiet, where he said, Elijah, I'm with you. I'm going to be there. And, and I'll tell you, when we become fearful or discouraged, it's easy to kind of run away like Elijah did. But at the end, God sent Elijah back into it. He, he sent him back. In fact, the Bible says he sent him back the way he came. And, 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 and I'll, I'll say this. He knew that his role was not over. God, 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 what God said to Elijah, he said, I'm not done with you yet. Even though you might feel exhausted, even though you're frustrated, even though you're feeling depressed right now, I'm not done with you yet. I still have more for you to do. And I want you to encourage you with this, that when the Lord, with, with the Lord, quietness does not equate inactivity. When, when God is quiet, it doesn't mean he's not moving. When God is quiet, it doesn't mean he's not up to something that oftentimes when God is quiet, that's when he's up to something. That's when God is trying to, to stir your heart, to minister to you, to encourage you in that moment. And when we, when we reach the end of our resources, we've only begun to tap in to the start of God's. And, and I want you to think of this. God did not change Elijah's circumstances. All right, When, when God, God said, all right, Elijah, you know what, you've had your moment. All right, I've ministered to you here in the quiet. I've encouraged your heart. You've encountered my presence. I want you to go back in, and I want you to go back the way you came. I want you to go talk to Ahab again. And I want you to catch something on this. Nothing. None of Elijah's circumstances changed. He still had a price on his head. He still had Ahab and Jezebel who hated him and wanted nothing to do with him, wanted to kill him. But I'll, I'll tell you this. Even though the circumstance was the same, even though nothing changed outwardly, God had encouraged him with his presence and and ultimately, just because God did not respond to your situation in this big, dramatic, powerful way like maybe you were hoping he would God's saying, "I got more for you. I'm not done with you yet. I want you to pick yourself up, get back in the fight all right and and we've all we've all have those moments? We all have those times where we're weary, where we're tired, where we feel like we don't have anything left anymore, and we just need to—we just need to receive from God. We just need God to encourage our heart. We just need God to minister to us. But at the end of that, we can't stay there. We can't stay there. We have to push forward. We have to be able to move and follow after God. And so that's exactly what what Elijah did. He quieted himself. He listened. He was encouraged by the heart of God. But ultimately he did what god asked and he jumped back into the fight he headed back so eventually god calls elijah and he says all right i want you to go have another confrontation with ahab i'm not done with you yet and so so after after this this time of healing after this time of ministering he goes back and and i'm not going to i'm not really going to go through everything that takes place between this mountain this cave experience with elijah and his next uh, stop with Ahab, his next confrontation with Ahab, but I'll just kind of fill you in a little bit what's happening. Ahab ended up having this innocent man killed, that Ahab was jealous, he wanted this man, had a great vineyard. Ahab wanted the vineyard, the guy wouldn't sell it to him, so ultimately he had this guy killed so that he could steal this guy's vineyard. And God tells Elijah, he said, or he said Elijah, I want you to go to Ahab, and I want you to give him a warning that judgment is coming his way. I want you. I want you to go and give him a stern warning. Now, now imagine this for a moment: this guy who already wants you dead, and God's saying, "Hey, I want you to go tell him there's some bad things that are right around the corner for him." I mean, I, man, I, that that's kind of a tough ask. But he knew that he knew that God was going to be with him, and so the, this this message, this, this prophetic word that Elijah shares with with Elijah and with Jezebel, it, honestly, it's pretty gruesome. Where, where you know, he said that, you know, he not only had he led the people astray and worshiping these false gods and killing this innocent man, and and because of this, he was gonna wipe out him and all of his descendants, that the dogs were gonna eat their flesh and lap up their blood. I mean, it's kind of a not a very nice message, not not one I would want to hear, that's for sure. And and I tell you what's what's so amazing though, that when Ahab goes and he tells Elijah. It's, excuse me, the other way around. When Elijah goes and tells Ahab and says, hey, God is very displeased at this moment. And let me tell you, this is what's going to be in your future. Ahab has this amazing response. He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and he fasted. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. And, and for those of you that, that might not know, putting on sackcloth really is kind of like An Old Testament sign of of mourning and repentance. That that he was broke over over his sin, over, over his mess. And I want to share with you God's amazing response to Ahab in this moment. And it's from 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 28 and 29. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. And God said, have you noticed how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his day but I will bring it to his house in the days of his son. You know, Ahab's sons, they continued in the wicked ways that Ahab had had begun. They they continued following after these false gods and all this. But think about this for a moment. Ahab, the king who had done more to arouse the anger of God than any other king in Israel. Ahab, this king who had led the people into worship of false gods, who had had all the prophets of the Lord not all of them, but many of them killed. That he had killed this innocent man, stole his vineyard. That this this one who turned his back on the Lord and God spared him the punishment that was coming his way, that he was due, that ha- that he had it coming because he had a heart of repentance. And I want you to write this down, number three, this final lesson we can learn, that the grace of God is for everyone. The grace of God is for everyone. God's heart is moved by humility. Like if if you were here last week and you heard Pastor Justin talking about the message of King Josiah and about pride, that the antidote for pride is humility. And when the most vile of sinners is willing to humble themselves, when the most vile of sinners is willing to humble themselves before God, God's answer is always yes. His answer is always yes that I, I, I'll tell you this, he longs to show mercy and grace. It, it's the will of the Father that none should perish. Like that is that is the heart of God, that the grace of God is for everyone. Grace really is amazing. I, I mean, we all know the song Amazing Grace. If you actually sit down and think about the words of that song, it is amazing. I, I tell you, one of my favorite books by an author, his name is Philip Yancey, and this is an old book, it's probably maybe 15, 20 years old now, and it's called, What's So Amazing About Grace? If you've not read it, I'd highly encourage you to read it. One, one of my favorite books. And, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest, there are parts in that book that kind of rub you the wrong way, that kind of make you think, man, this, this just isn't fair. Like, really? And, and, and I wanna, in fact, I, I wanna kind of share the, a quick story with, with you just to kind of illustrate this, that God's grace is for everyone. Um, if, if if you know anything about about me, I, I'm from originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I, sorry, I, 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 hey, I'll, I'll tell you this: the Milwaukee Bucks came within a hair's breadth of being able to go to the NBA Finals. Like the Bucks, we've had nothing to root for forever with the Bucks. So, anyway, total side note. But but I'll tell you one of my hometown's claim to fame is the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Woo Go go Milwaukee, right? And 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 I'll tell you, I, I'm not going to go through all of his crimes. I mean, they're just it, it's it's horrific. It it's truly horrific. And, and I tell you, living living in Milwaukee at the time, when when all of this was happening and going on and stuff, I, I mean it was it was awful. I mean it it was it was truly awful and reprehensible. And I mean just you read the stories and the police reports and I mean just it's just a terrible awful thing and and Jeffrey Dahmer he was obviously sentenced to multiple life sentences I mean he he was Jeffrey Dahmer was never getting out he was never going anywhere but there was a pastor in Wisconsin his name was Roy Ratcliffe and he began to minister to Jeffrey Dahmer in prison and not just him, there were actually multiple pastors. He, he was at a federal prison in Madison. Multiple past, pastors went and ministered to Jeffrey Dahmer and said he had a salvation experience, actually baptized Jeffrey Dahmer, and in fact had weekly Bible studies with him. Jeffrey Dahmer in prison, the serial, serial killer, began to lead Bible studies in prison, of all things, if, if you can imagine that. And, and I'll tell you there, there were other there were other pastors that that, uh, that I read who ministered to him and, and vouched for this and and they said, you know what we truly believe he's really repented that he's really committed his his heart to Christ and, and, and I'll tell you this new song. ultimately only God knows. only God knows where Jeffrey Dahmer's heart truly was at the end. but if if all the things that I've read about that are true, I fully expect to see Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven someday, and, and and I tell you, to me, man, that doesn't seem right. That that doesn't seem fair, does it? Like, but that's the whole point of grace. I mean, I mean, if grace is not scandalous, it's not actually grace. If if grace doesn't seem fair, it's not actually grace. And and I'll tell you this, that that. That's what grace is. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. And and I'm so grateful for the grace and the mercy of God in my life that I might not have committed the same things that Jeffrey Dahmer did or that King Ahab did, but I am so grateful and thankful for the grace of God in my life that he has saved me and he's redeemed me. I tell you, that's good news for all of us in this room today. That is good news for all of us, that if God can spare King Ahab... And if God's grace can cover and forgive a man like Jeffrey Dahmer, surely your mess, surely the things that you've done, surely the the, the times that you've spit in the face of God, surely he can cover that and, and forgive that as well. I, I, I tell you, you know what? I just, I just want to stop for a moment here. sorry <laughs> I, I want to give I want to if you've never experienced the tr- grace of God I want to give you want I want to give you an experience to be able to do that right now I, w- I want to give you a moment where you can would everybody just close your eyes for just moment and if you've never truly experienced the grace of God if you know that things are not right between you and the Lord You're just in need of his grace and his mercy. If you know you've been far from him, if you just need to experience the grace and the mercy of God in your life right now, would you just raise your hand for me? Nobody's looking around, but if you just need to experience that grace in your life right now, amen. Thank you, thank you. Praise God for that. You need to experience that forgiveness. I just I just want to pray over you right now. I just want to pray over you God God you are so very good God and thank you so much for that free gift of grace. God thank you that that when we call out to you in, in humility and in repentance God that you gladly extend grace and you gladly extend forgiveness to us. Lord thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve but you're compassionate. God, that you're gracious, that you're slow to anger. God, that you are abounding in love. God, for those who raise their hands, Father, we just come to you with open open and humble hearts this morning, Lord. God, laying ourselves before you, and we ask you, God, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our mess. Forgive us for trying to, to live this life on our own apart from you. God, forgive us for not taking you seriously. And God, we just, we're here today before you, stating that we want to live our lives for you. God, we we want to live our lives for you and for your glory. So God, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your love. And God, I I, I just pray, I pray for everybody here in this room today. God, that you would help us to learn, God, and and to live out these lessons that that you taught Elijah. God, I I pray that, that for those in the room who are struggling with fear right now, God, we know that living in fear robs us of, of God, that life that you have called us to. God, it takes us away from our purpose. And and we know, Father, that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And God, I I just pray that you would lift that spirit of fear off of your people this morning. And God, that you would fill us, Lord, with your perfect peace, your peace that surpasses all understanding. God, for those who, who are discouraged, who are depressed, God, who feel at the end of the rope like Elijah did. Father, I just pray that they would be able to experience your presence. God, we know that you don't always respond in that dramatic and that supernatural way. God, often you minister to us in the quiet and you reassure us and you encourage us with your presence. And I pray for your presence to be made known to everybody in this room who's feeling discouraged and depressed right now. God, for those who feel abandoned, let down, betrayed and and alone. God, that you would do what only you can do. God, we know that you never, you promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. God, make your presence known to us. And God, we ask you to help us to embrace and extend grace, Lord, to those who need it. God, we love you so very much. God, you are amazing. You are so good to us. God, far beyond we deserve. And we just want to thank you this morning, Lord, God, we love you. I just bless your people this morning in the mighty and the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: As a church, it's our honor to play a part in what God is doing in your life. And we would love to continue on that journey with you. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to www.